0: Before we get into the Word, as you're turning in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a moment and reiterate what I said last week and what was just mentioned on the screen, so it does sound like we're being a little over the top about this, but because I believe it's that important and going to be that helpful, I want to encourage you to consider... Once again, this is the last week to sign up for coming to the Lead Like Jesus encounter that we will have on October 4th and 5th. If you would like to come, contact our church office, or you can go right to our website. There's not a button anywhere. You have to type in 12th.co.com, 12th.co forward slash register, and you can register for that Friday night and Saturday event where you will learn how Jesus led and how we can become more like him and how we make decisions, how we lead our families, lead our friends, lead our businesses, how we can just be more like Jesus. But taught by, not just taught, but it'll be a workshop format led by one of my great friends and one of the most impactful mentors in my life, Randy Millwood, who'll be coming down from Maryland to be with us. If you would, consider that, prayerfully consider it. You have to sign up by this Wednesday so we can get the resources that you'll need for that. So contact our church office or register online. If you have questions, reach out to me. My number, if you don't have it, is in the bulletin that you receive on the way, in. This my cell phone. You can text me or call me with any questions about that. Um, Y'all excited about going to the falls tonight? Yes. I'm excited, man. These guys, yes. That's how I'm excited. Some of you guys need to get a little more excited about hanging out together. I I know some people rub us wrong a little bit sometimes. And if you hang out with some people too long, it gets like too much. That's how most of you feel about me if you hang out with me long enough. But for two hours, it's going to be great. All right, so let's go have fun, eat some burgers and dogs and whatever else you guys bring, make it good. I'm hungry already. I'm saving up, not gonna eat until we get there. So, uh, y'all make sure you uh, bring some good, tasty food. Okay, deal? Deal, deal? deal, all right. No kids were excited about that part. Um, <clears throat> students, I should say, not kids. Um, I, I really, really love you guys as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm excited today to be with you, to preach the Word, to look at the Scriptures, and mostly for all of us together to be changed more into the image of Christ, the way we were initially created to be before sin entered the world. And so let's look together in Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing our series this week in this series called, What's So Amazing About Grace? Remember, we've talked about it a lot. We've grown up hearing about this amazing grace. We have sung about it over and over and over again, and we have read about it. We've heard about it. We've been taught about it. We've talked about it. We've used that language before. But what really is so amazing about grace? This is a really, really important question because we can come in here and sing words all day long. If we don't know what we're talking about, it means nothing. In fact, we are just like the folks that Jesus has talked about and God in the Old Testament talked about being those who raise their hands, but he doesn't hear us. Because it's not just about what comes out of you, it's about where it comes from and about the motives of your heart. And so it is important that we know what we're saying and singing and believing. It's important that we know who we say we are worshiping and that we actually know him relationally. And this series is meant to help us understand that a little bit better. Look with me in Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. We covered 1 through 3 last week. We looked at a lot of the bad news then, and we're going to see some good news here. So let's look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Pray with me. Father, this morning we could do an exercise in interpreting your word and trying to understand what it means and how we should live differently. But apart from the grace and work of your Holy Spirit in us, individually and together as a body of believers, it would all be for nothing. So, Lord, we ask you, we beg you today to move in us, to shape us from the inside out, to change us so that we might be more like we were intended to be and look more like Jesus. Help us, God. Work in us. For those who don't know you, save us, Lord, and continue to work in us, never letting us be what we were. Lord, help us to look more like Christ When we leave than when we first walked in today, according to your word and for your glory and for your son Jesus' fame, I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's break down and remember where we came from last week, just to kind of get the full picture, all right, about why this is so important on this negative side of things. Look in verse 1, and we'll begin there. And you were dead. So he's talking, Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he's making the point to say, you were dead dead in your trespasses and sins and the things you do wrong you shouldn't do wrong and the things you should do but don't do trespasses and sins in those things you were dead spiritually dead and you may be walking around you may be talking you may bring some good things quote good quotes good things to the world maybe a good philanthropist doing great things helping people across the street they can't do it themselves all those good things you could be doing big and small but if you are not made alive spiritually you are dead In relation to all things spiritual and especially to God himself. And so he says to us, and you were, talking to the church, because all of us are in this boat before we know Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And he gives us three kind of pieces of this that mark off how we lived in that way. Following the course of this world, not following the course of Jesus, not following the Savior, but following the way everybody else is going in this world, away from God, apart from God. Following, he says, the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, the devil we're talking about here, the boogeyman, some might call him, but for real, he is a real person. An angelic being that thought he was better than God and should be first and foremost, and so he's cast out of heaven, and he is the one who roams now trying to bring everybody under. Even though the victory has been won in Jesus already, he is still trying to thwart God's plans. He's still trying to take anyone down that he can along the way until Jesus comes back. So we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and you say, that wasn't me. I didn't follow the devil. But he clarifies by saying, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. If you are disobeying God, not doing everything for his glory, you are following the prince of the power of the air. And even now, as Christians, we talked last week about how often we choose to still follow the enemy instead of following the Savior. Right? But that was a marked off way in which we were following the course of this world, following the enemy. Verse three, these sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived and the passions of our flesh. So we have the world to contend with that we chase after. We have the enemy that we actually chase after. We would not want to deny we do that, but we do. And we also have the passions of our flesh. We chase after whatever our flesh desires, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, meaning that the very core of who we are is a sinner if new, saved by grace, but all sinners at who we are. In other words, we sin because we are sinners. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And, and we talked about how Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, in other words, God speaking to the Ephesians and now to us, wanted to make it clear to us that it is God that does the heavy lifting. You understand? It is not us that does the heavy lifting. It is God that does that. When you're dead, you can't make yourself alive. In fact, your friends can't make you alive when you're dead and you've never been alive spiritually. It's not like you, your heart just stopped for a minute. You are clinically gone. And the only thing that can fix that is the one who created you. The one who can breathe life into you Spiritually. And so you were dead, he uses that kind of language. Just like Jesus uses language on the other end, you must be born again. Just like nobody can cause themselves to be born. You didn't wake up in the womb at nine months and go, all right, mom, time to go. Right? It just happened to you. You were passive in that. So you were dead, he says. Children of wrath by nature. Not just children of wrath, but by your very nature, who you are on the inside. Things you can't change about yourself. No matter how you may think you want to. So by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, we were dead in our trespasses. And then come my favorite two words in the scriptures. But I'm going to go back and read verse 1 through 3 again to get the full effect. You ready? Jump back with me. Verse 1. The creator of the universe, the one who has done all things for his glory. The one who made us because of the overflow of his love. Not because he needed us, but because he wanted to love us. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. The clarity, by grace you have been saved. One of the five major statements of the Reformation when the church broke in two and the schism that happened over 500 years ago when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the church in Vitendor. When when this was begun, the five statements that kind of ruled the day of, of all of them, I would say that this seems to be... At the core of this, for most of us in our coming to faith and understanding who we are in Christ, when we really see it for the first time, by grace you have been saved. By grace alone. In other words, not by any merit in our own rights, but by grace. Put it simply, we were dead, but God made us alive. We were dead, completely dead spiritually, walking around, talking, walking dead people, spiritually. But God made us alive, if you are in Christ. I'm talking to you, if you have met God and you've been changed, impacted by the creator of the universe, and your life is now different from when you first met him, and you look more like Jesus now than when you first heard the gospel, then you are in this statement. We were dead, but God made us alive. And today, if you're wondering if that really is you and you're not sure, maybe you are holding that in and you've been in church your whole life and your spouse is sitting next to you and they think, man, this person is not my wife, not my husband. That couldn't be them. They're saved. I know they are. But inside of you, you might be thinking, I've always walked this walk. I've always talked the talk. I think it's the right thing to do. But I've never experienced that kind of grace. And today could be the day for you. I've been praying for you. Many in this church have been praying for you, and today could be the day when you are made alive, because it comes through the hearing of the Word of God, the gospel of truth, the gospel of grace, and the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus. Let's break all this down and just see the pieces of this. There's going to be three major pieces to the statement that God made us alive. I love those first two words again in verse 4, but God. It's an adversative statement. It's saying all this was true about you. You were dead, following the course of the world, following the enemy, following your flesh, but God, the one who's above all things, who is the only one who can take something inanimate, gone, dead, not alive, and turn it alive. But God, look what it says about Him being rich in mercy. Being rich in mercy. That word mercy often represents the Hebrew term chesed. That's the word. You say it with me. Ready? Chesed. Say it again. You didn't get it. Chesed. It's hard to do that H sound. I can't do it well. One more time. Chesed. Sounds almost like you're hawking something up. That Hebrew word chesed means it refers to, it's been at least interpreted by most people saying it refers to God's steadfast covenant love for his people. And it's almost always in the Old Testament, it seems to come across in a way when it's not just talked about, but it's actually enacted in a way that's almost just impromptu, that God just showers his mercy on others. Listen, Exodus 34, 6 through 7. This is actually God's character. Listen, the Lord passed before him, before Moses. He said, let me see you. He said, you can't see me, but I'll walk in front of you. You'll see the back of my glory. And as he walked by him, God said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who by no means will clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation but a god of mercy to those who would be his in fact micah 7:18 who is a god like you micah says pardoning iniquity Passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever because he delights in a steadfast love. He said ephesians one seven talks about the same thing we read it a few weeks back in him, in Jesus, we have redemption. Through his blood, in other words, that his blood shed on the cross, in him we have redemption, being redeemed out of our sin, purchased out of our sin. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. These words are often connected together, grace and mercy. We see it even here in our text for today. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. Mercy and grace tied together in the very character of God. Or in Numbers, this would be our prayer, my prayer for all of us. The Lord is slow to anger, Numbers 14. An abounding and steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. That is our prayer. Even though we deserve to have that wrath poured out on us, we ask him, Lord, pardon this people. Forgive them of their sins. And the only way that happens is through his mercy. Being rich in mercy, God has overcome our death. In God's mercy, he pities us. In God's grace, He pardons us. That's good, isn't it? It It's good to recognize that he looks upon us in our sins and in the wrath that we deserve, ready to crush us for all eternity. And when he sees us, he loves us so much that his heart goes out to us and he pities us. And therefore, his grace moves him to pardon us. But there's only one way that can happen. He can't pardon us and remain just unless He gives a just substitute in our place, who is Jesus, who died in our place on the cross. So by His blood, by His stripes, by His wounds, we are healed from our death and sinfulness. By grace, we have been saved. We were dead, but God made us alive by grace. You have been saved. Look, it doesn't stop there. Go back, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you hear all this? But we could go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and begin to walk through and just count the number of times that God's doing something that's good, and the number of times that we are the ones doing something good. And you'll see that almost exclusively, it is God doing the good things. Right? Look at this, just this one verse. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Right? We're dead, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Romans 5, 5-8 through 8, kind of brings some clarity here. And hope, Paul says there, does not put us to shame. Not when we became better, not when we earned a little bit of favor, not when we began to make much of him, but when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So why would God make us alive when we deserve his wrath? Why would God make us alive when we deserve his wrath and not his love? That's a question that we should ask. When you read through these things, you go, but why, God? Why would you do that? I'm glad we asked that question. It's here in the text, right? Right? But God, being rich in mercy, look, because because of his great love, because of the great love with which he loved us, not because we're good enough, but because he is good enough. Not because he needs us, but because we need him. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Not because this church needed us, because we're such great evangelists, or great teachers, or great security personnel or great musicians, not because this church needed us, but because this church needs Jesus. Because of the great love with which he's loved us. He loved us, you see? And not because we are great, but because his grace is greater than all our sins. By grace you have been saved. That means unmerited favor, grace. I mean, something we did not do, we did not earn, we could not own, we could not get to that point by grace. It's given in grace. God loved us even when we were in our trespasses. I have a hard time forgiving my own son or daughter, more often my sons, right? That's what you guys say. I have a hard time forgiving my own children when they trespass against me. But God... Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us. That's the reason. Because he loves us. Even when we're dead in our trespasses. He loved us even when we were in rebellion. He loved us even when we're following the world that hates him. He loved us even when we're following the enemy that tried to thwart him. He loved us even when we follow the enemy that put Christ on the cross. as one of the many people that did that. He loved us. Us, even when we were following our flesh and the passions of our flesh that wage war against his ways. He loved us. These are some hard words. Listen to them. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. It was not because you were more in number, he says to Israel. Than any other people. Not because you were greater in number than any other people. That the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. He chose the weak. to shame the strong. Right? But it is because the Lord loves you. There it is again. Because he loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. In other words, for us, it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath to our forefathers, those that have gone before us, that he's brought us out with a mighty hand and redeemed us from the house of slavery we live in, which is our sinfulness. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, he says. For whose sake? God's sake, his sake. For my own sake. For my, he says it again. He repeats it. For my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. He does it first and foremost for his own glory, and for us because he loves us. John fifteen, and sixteen, Jesus telling his disciples, his chosen people, right? He says, Even this, he says, You did not choose me. They didn't, did they? He says you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he, he may give it to you. Ephesians 1.4 we saw earlier a few weeks back. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now this sounds crazy, right? You, say, but why, you mean I didn't choose him? Yes, of course you chose God after he chose you. He chose you before the foundation of the world, you see? We can't deny what the scripture says. He chose you before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4, and it uses that big word, some of us don't like, he predestined us according to his desires. But then you chose him, yes, when God made you alive, boom, he made you alive, he gave you faith to believe him, it all happened in one moment, we don't know how it works, I don't know what happens and how it works, but it just does. When he did those things in you and you saw who he was, you turned to him and said, yes, but you were dead. because he loved you, you're alive. That's why he deserves all the glory. That's why our names don't deserve to be in this church name. That's why when we talk about how great this church is, we talk about Jesus. We don't talk about a pastor. We don't talk about a Sunday school teacher. We talk about Jesus. This church is great because he is great. This church is good because he is good. We're sinners saved by grace. That's what's good. We're saved when we shouldn't be. He deserves the glory. He's the one that chose to love us first. Charles Spurgeon says, His great love was seen by the way in which he kept on calling us by his grace. Every time he called at you until you finally came alive, that's his grace. You can look back in your life and see all the moments where he probably was drawing you in. Man, we were fighting. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you're one of those where the first thing you remember as a child is that you love Jesus. What a great testimony to the Lord's grace on you. You should sing that from the rooftops. That's way better than me dragging his name through the mud, right? That's a good, good story to share. 1 John 4, 8 through 10. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. You see, he's about to tell us, in this thing I'm about to share with you, this is how we know God's love was made known among us, was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that, here's the reason, so that we might live through him. That's love, he says. In this is love, verse 10, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. That's the definition of love, that he loved us. Not that we loved him first, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That big word means to be the sacrifice that appeased the wrath of God on our behalf, that took care of it, that wiped it out, that paid it in full. First John 4, 19 he goes on a little further down. He says, we love because he first loved us. Now, you may not like that terminology. I know as a human being, I don't like that I'm not the first and foremost. I don't like that I'm not the one in charge. I don't like that I'm not the one who has all power, but I don't. And I have to swallow this truth to really understand who God is and what he's done for us so that he gets due glory. We love because he first loved us. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. William Hendrickson says, by the long statement, he says, Paul says, God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive. This love of God is so great that it defies all definition. We can speak of it as his intense concern for, his deep personal interest in, his warm attachment to, And spontaneous tenderness towards his chosen ones. But all this is but to stammer, he says. Those and those only who experience it are the ones who know what it is, though even they can never fully comprehend it. They know, however, that it is unique. Spontaneous, strong, sovereign, everlasting, and infinite. It is the love that has been shed abroad in our hearts. His own love toward us. The love from which no one and nothing will be able to separate us. That is amazing grace. That is amazing love. And you cannot fully comprehend and we cannot fully communicate it to others. That's because it's that amazing. That's what's so amazing about the grace by which we've been saved. We were dead, but God made us alive. By grace, you have been saved, if you believe and hope in Jesus. But go on, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So that goes all the way back here. Go back to verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you can skip down to verse 4. But God... You were dead, but God, and then skip on down to that part, but God made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. You were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. All those other pieces are important, but they're supporting things. The main thing is that you were dead, but God made us alive together with Christ. Let me put it like this. You've been made alive together with Christ. Oftentimes we want to just exit that part. You've been made alive. Yes. Hallelujah. But you miss out on a big part if you don't add in something that the church in this country is missing out on greatly. We say, Oh, I've been made alive. But it's together, together, together with Christ. Continuing on, you were together with Christ, that's what made you alive. You met Jesus, and you stayed with him, and you continue with him. It's not like you met him, and now you walked away from him. You have been made alive together with Christ. Let me break this down into a few points real quick to help us understand. As I was thinking through and praying over this and reading scriptures, these things just came out at me, right? First, together. We've been made alive together with Christ in his resurrection, in his resurrection. That's how you're made alive. That word made alive actually in the text is only used in a couple of places in scripture. Other than here, made alive together with, is only used in a couple of spots. And every time it's alluding to a resurrection or being raised from death. Look, 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two, For as in Adam all die. We all are sinners. All die. So also in Christ, the greater Adam, shall all be made alive. Be made alive. That's the terminology. Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the Holy Spirit, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Colossians two thirteen. Here it is. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh in your sinfulness, not made alive yet, right? He says, in this, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Together with Christ means in his resurrection. You've been resurrected from death to life. This is good news. This is amazing grace. You, were, you don't have to wait until he comes back. You're already made alive. You don't die and then wait around for him. It says, Jesus tells the thief on the cross, he says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, you close your eyes and escape your last breath and you take a new one in in the presence of God's glory. You've been resurrected. You don't have to wait to the end for that. It's now. Jesus says eternal life is knowing him and the one whom he sent, who is Jesus. You are in eternal life, one foot in right now, waiting for it to be consummated and fully brought on and all the sin wiped away. Together with Christ, you've been made alive in his resurrection. How about this? You've been made alive, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've been changed because God loved you and now you love him, you've been made alive together with Christ as his brothers and sisters. It's not just his servants. You've been brought into his family. This changes everything. This doesn't mean you you just get to have something. You're a family with him. You're connected with him. You love him because he first loved you. He's adopted you in. You are his. You can cry out to him as daddy, to the father. You can see your older brother, Jesus, who gave his life for you, so you love him with great adoration. It changes everything. You're also been made alive together with Christ as he remains with us always, together with him. Jesus tells us at the very end before he goes up to be with his father, prepare a place for us, before he says he's coming back. He says, go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded. Then he says, and lo, that's the King Jamie version, and lo, I will be with you always. And look, I'll be with you always. He tells his disciples earlier, I must go so I can send a comforter. You'll be much happier when he's here. We want to be like, man, if I could just go back 2,000 years and be with Jesus, we would be no different than those crazy, didn't-get-it disciples. We have it way better than where they were when they were with Jesus in the sense that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. We are connected to Jesus by the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. God in us. He remains with us always, always. You've made alive together with Christ. Together with Christ, forever alive with him. In eternity, you'll always be with him. You're with him now, you have him now. We were dead But God made us alive. By grace, we have been saved. You cannot separate this new life from Jesus. There is no such thing. Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. Go back and read the story of Martha and Mary as they're pining after Jesus to, why weren't you here before now? Why weren't you here so my brother wouldn't have died? Lazarus, John 11. And see that he tells him, I am eternal life. That is me, because you're with him. You can't separate this new life for Christ. Our new life in Christ cannot be separated from Jesus, for he is the air we breathe as his people. He is the life within our blood. It's no longer we who live, but Christ that lives within us. This new life cannot be separated from Jesus, for then it would not be life at all, but Death apart from God, but now we're with God. So if you say that you love God and you are not with him and you don't enjoy being with him and you don't want to spend time with him and you don't want to be with his people that he died for, your brothers and sisters with him together, then maybe you aren't who you think you are. That's a hard statement, but it's the truth. And that's why I don't get crazy on people, but when they say things like, you know, I I spend, I t- my, I'm with God when I'm out in the woods in a stand. I get it, man. I love being out in the woods in a stand. If you've got open stands, let me know after this is over. Hey, I, I'm not, I love to be out in the woods in a stand. I love to spend time on the back porch with some coffee, and not too early in the morning, but early in the morning, right? I love those things. I see God's creation, and I worship him. But if you don't want to be with God's people, or if you don't want to spend time with Jesus now, what do you think the rest of eternity is like? You're missing the point. You can't have new life without Jesus. Jesus doesn't walk away after he saves you and go, okay, see you later. When I come back, new life with him now. That de- great definition of not having him with you is to be apart from him, which is death. That's death. That's what death is, being apart from him. Life is being with him. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, we've been saved. And listen, Jesus is also our assurance of salvation. I'm going to go on this for just a second. Listen. You may struggle, and that's okay. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to struggle. Here's some assurance. Jesus is your assurance. Are you with him? Do you spend time with him? Do you yearn for him? Even though you mess up, even though you fail, do you desire him? That's evidence that you're with him. You, you get it? Like, that's, that's part of the assurance. He is our assurance. His presence with us, our desire for him. That's not a dead person thing. That's a made alive thing. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah says, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. You see? You see? That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is writing it on your hearts. He's in there like, no, 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 don't do that thing. that goes against me, right? In your heart, from the inside out. Look, Jesus is the way, right? We talked about it a minute ago. He's the way of this new covenant. It's the new covenant in his blood, he says, what we celebrate at the end of every month when we take the Lord's Supper together. He is our assurance of salvation. Let me put it like this. God chose us. This is all from Ephesians 1 on down. Listen. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's assurance, brother. You can't do it, but he's done it for you. Do You see? You can't hold, you, maybe you can't hold on to it with your hands, but he's holding on to you with his. God chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ. God then redeemed us through the blood of Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago carried on. Eternity passed to 2,000 years ago. And then God forgave us our trespasses on that fateful day that Christ was crucified, when he was condemned in our place. Jesus, our brother, our substitute, our sacrifice, our death, our redeemer, our victor. Jesus Christ, the holy, righteous son of God that rose from death. He, our savior, in him we have assurance because he overcame Not because we're going to overcome, because he overcomes for us. He overcame for us on the cross. And then God sealed us by his Holy Spirit into his family on the day we heard that word of truth, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus, the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done, the gospel of our salvation. It was on that day that we heard the gospel and repented of our sins and believed in Jesus for the first time that his Holy Spirit sealed us for the day of redemption, guaranteeing our inheritance, Jesus, being with him, until we acquire possession of it fully to the praise of his glory. That is assurance. What he has done for us, by grace, we have been saved. And lastly, Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope. From eternity past, to the top of Golgotha, where Jesus was slain, to the tomb where he was laid, to heaven when he rose to the very throne of God the Most High. We deserve eternal condemnation, eternal damnation. We deserve the full wrath of God to be poured out on us until eternity's end never comes. Until eternity's end never comes. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved that is what's so amazing about grace he is good and worthy of our love and devotion and today we need to turn to him and drop the junk in our lives and turn to him and hold to him with everything the great news is even when we slip off even when we let go if you've been made alive because he loved you first You will be with him. He will draw you in. He will bring you back. That's why you're here today listening to this punch in the face. Because he loves you too much to let you go. That's what's so amazing about grace. But God. Father, I ask this morning that you would turn our hearts back to you you would work in us to shape us into the image of your Son, Jesus, to make us look like Him, to be like Him, to breathe like Him, to love like Him, to, to make much of you before the world around us like He has done. Would you work in us by your Spirit to lead us to repentance, another grace of yours that you've shown us, that we can come back to you over and over and over, no matter how many times we've messed up. You forgive us over and over because you are rich in mercy so Lord today I pray if there's anyone that has not known you until today if they've never heard this message until now about your son Jesus' sacrifice for them on the cross and his victory over death Satan, sin and hell would you work it in their hearts and save them today would you give them faith to believe in you would they repent before you and give their lives to you because you gave your son's life for us Father, I pray you do that for your glory, for the salvation of souls, for the building up of your church, that we might make much of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.